So that that's the crux, the core of that topic uh, there. And it was my my way to communicate that the, the definition of a true professional goes way beyond whether or not you play sports for money. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's guest is Jesse Wright. Jesse is a high-performance consultant and former NBA, NFL, and NCAA strength and conditioning coach. During my time in the NBA, I had the chance to get to know Jesse as he was the head strength and conditioning coach and director of performance science with the Philadelphia 76ers. One of Jesse's superpowers and what makes him elite in his role and in his job then and now is his understanding and grasp of the soft skills of the profession. These are those interpersonal skills that magnify and act as glue and the binder of whatever technical skills you have built in your craft. They cannot be overlooked, and Jesse is a master at the soft skills and understanding how leaders can be better leaders, how leaders can grow. That's exactly why he wrote the book, The Intent is to Grow. I cannot underline this book enough for any young professional, especially in the field of strength and conditioning, sports performance, rehab, that entire sports medicine and sports performance umbrella. This is a great book for anybody who is looking to grow their leadership skills, but especially that audience. This book is a must read. You should also visit his website, www.balancethebar.com, and then be sure to download his free app, Balance the Bar Coaching App. And don't forget to follow Jesse on Instagram, at Jesse K. Wright, at J-E-S-S-E-K-W-R-I-G-H-T. In this conversation, Jesse shares his career path and journey and all of the nuggets that he put together into the book, The Intent is to Grow, so that you can use those same pro tips that he accumulated over the years to become elite at what he does. Let's get into the conversation. Jesse, in your book, The Intent is to Grow, the foreword is done by Aaron McKee. Can you talk us through what was special about Aaron when you had a chance to work with him? And then I want to get into one of the quotes that he left in that forward that was just really powerful. Sure. Yeah. Aaron and I go back, gosh, probably about 20 years or so. I we, we, we were introduced to each other, I think, through common temple contacts, even maybe even before that. But at the time that he was playing for the 76ers, he visited the training center that I was working for at the time. It was a private sports training center. We had as many as four training centers in suburban Philadelphia at one point in time. And did a put a pretty good dent in in training a lot of the local pro athletes. I think we had at least a handful of representatives from most of the, the local Philadelphia-based pro teams, mostly high school kids, right? Like most of the independent training centers. But we did we did deal with college and pro. Uh, and Aaron was an unbelievably committed athlete with respect to his off-court training. And he lived locally and came by and he was a, a regular client. And I was one of the people that was entrusted with uh, overseeing his programming in the off season. And, and uh, so that, that's how we met. And 
from there, he, as he closed out his career with the Sixers and in the NBA in general, he took a coaching position with, uh, I believe it was Mo Cheeks was the, the very first uh, coaching position that he had. And at that point in time, I was, I was with the Sixers as a consultant, as a training conditioning consultant. So that kind of like evolved our relationship where we started you know, getting some workouts together on the road and we'd go out and run and we'd meet up with each other in the hotels. And, you know, uh, he was a big treadmill interval guy. So was I, so we'd share the same treadmill and work relief. He'd get on, I'd rest and everything was, yeah, it was, uh, it worked really well. And, uh, and it just kind of evolved from there. And then, you know, so he goes on, you know, a couple more coaching roles and all that stuff. He gets on uh, as the assistant coach under Fran Dumphy at Temple. And now he's a head coach. Right. So we both went there as undergrads and right. you know, worked for the worked for the local Philadelphia basketball team at one point. And and um, yeah, so then he starts coaching my alma mater and we, we've stayed tight ever since. So it's kind of a kind of a cool story. Yeah, the overlaps are were, were there from an early point. What stands out about Aaron and I read through his forward and it's just so well put together, but you could just tell that he has the a filter for knowing what it is. And this is one of the things that he was known for as a player for the 76ers and in the league is just being that a plus teammate, that guy that you want next to you on the floor and in the trenches. But what are the things that really stand out as you had a much closer look into what makes Aaron tick? You nailed a lot of it right there. I mean, there, there's no one that knows Aaron that wouldn't say he is the the highest of character guy with respect to everything that you would want from a teammate, from a coach, from a leader. I mean, he he demonstrates all of it. He, uh, it, it, you know, leads by example and vocal and respected enough that when he speaks that people listen and he's just he's just one of those guys that's wired that way and he he stands out in that way for sure so with respect to character he backs up you know everything that that he says um and then you know i I, well i mean talk about him as an athlete again his work ethic he was committed to everything he needed to do Mm. to be to be an elite level athlete and and it stood out you know, for sure. I mean, sixth man of the year, and he was a you know incredibly important piece to that that uh, that finals run that the that the Allen Iverson led Sixers went on right against the Lakers right. back in back in two thousand and one, and a leader in the locker room, and you know just every again everything that you would want from a from a teammate. And then you move on to how he evolved into a coach and those early years when he transitioned from players to coach, he, he bridged that gap really well. I mean, everybody, everybody knew at that point in time that he was recently removed from being a player. So as Tim, as you and I know, as, as young leaders, you can't necessarily do the take the approach of the the drop and give me 20 because I know better than you. And I've been in this game for 30 years, right? At that point, right. it's, you know, that, right. that's not the kind of coach you can be when you first step into it. You just know it, right? Totally. Everybody knows you're, you're young and feeling your way through. So, so then you get a chance to watch him as a recently removed player and how he started to lead uh, the players that were on the roster at that point. And, and, and he did that very well as a, almost 
almost like a locker room veteran would do. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you pick up that 14 or 15 year guy and he kind of takes the rookies, uh, put their arm over the shoulder figuratively and literally sometime and, and guides them from a, from a guy's uh, perspective that's been through almost everything. And, and that's the way he got through to the younger guys and, and even some of the guys on the roster at that point in time, because, um, you know, Willie Green is one of them. He, I, I believe he played with them, right? They were wow. on the same roster at one point, which is kind of a hard transition, right? To, yeah. to coach, to coach a handful of guys that you once played with. So, and then, you know, Willie goes on, you know, he, he was another one of those guys that, you know, you kind of knew as a human being that he had leadership potential just in how he, he walked into the building every day. And lo and behold, he's, you know, incredibly successful head coach, even in his first year right now. Yeah. Uh, and they, and they had a great relationship. They did. So, um, yeah, I can't say enough about, uh, about who he is first and foremost as a human being and all of those qualities and characteristics, you know, have carried into who he is as a coach. Yeah. And you, you brought it up because I, I think a lot of people forget, even though they shouldn't, that he was a key player in the 76ers run to the finals against the Lakers and everybody had maybe a focus on AI rightfully mm -hmm. so to some extent, but a lot yeah. of the, the success from both the defensive and that Aaron was really known for in terms of he could be a stopper on, on that end, but then be able to contribute offensively next to AI was that, that people shouldn't forget. And you should go back and look at some of those games and see the key role that he played in that, that championship or that uh, finals run that they made. So in the forward, Jesse, Aaron talks about and exactly what he says at one point is the power is not in what you know, but in who you are. Can you zoom in on that for us? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's another thing that I love about the forward. I mean, in addition to just, you know, being able to attach his name to it and, and to the book um, and the relationship that we had, the, the way it was written and, you know, the way he communicated uh, his message in that forward speaks to who he is as a, as yes. a person as well. So that, that really comes through. Uh, that statement is really some things that that he and I talked about when I presented, you know, and, and requested that he would be a part of it and write the forward. And, you know, the message in the book is kind of crystallized in that sentence where the, you know, again, you and I know this. And, and as I talk to more and more people from different industries, it, you know, everybody kind of has similar challenges where you just go so deep on technical knowledge and the the undergraduate, maybe recently removed graduate student, you know, goes very heavy in learning the skills and the knowledge of their trade. Right. And yeah, the you know, technical by no, but yeah, the technical aspect by no fault of anybody. That's, that's typically what you think you need to learn. And you do, you do sure. need to learn and go, and go very deep in your area of expertise and your, the domain that you select. Um, my message in the book, my message with, you know, the website and all the stuff, you know, you and I talk off camera regularly and all that stuff. It's like, let's not just forget that there's a whole other separate skill set that's really important in long-term lasting success. And it's tied exactly to that second part of his sentence, which is it's who you are as a human being and how you communicate that knowledge that you just work so hard to learn and a number of other, you know, skills that go into defining uh, who people are as people. And, and that's kind of what that sentence is all about. And I think he, he crystallized it and, and, and um, explain that beautifully just in that one sentence. 
No question. It struck me right away. Jesse, I want to go into a little bit later some of the key tenants and some of the pieces that I zeroed in on and so many pieces that I zeroed in on uh, throughout the book. But before we go there, take us through where and when you found yourself gravitating toward the field of strength and conditioning and then what led you into this field and, and what that chapter of your life was like. Yeah, I love telling this story because it's probably similar, but maybe, you know, at some point deviates off to a, a different path with how I landed in the NBA. But relative to the field and strength and conditioning, I was the undersized football player that knew he had to lift, that knew he had to lift at that at that point in time to get a little bigger, a little bit stronger, to be successful in that sport. So I got started in structured training as a high school kid, 15 years old, and, and competed on the school's powerlifting team wow. uh, in the in the off season, right? And and at that point in time, right, if I can uh, hu- humble brag about my 15 year old years, you can set, set some Philadelphia or uh, some some Pennsylvania bench press and squat records at that point. In time. Really. <laughs> However, right, and this this is where the humble part comes in. There was really no other record set at the time. It, 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 was, <laughs> brand, it was brand new. So <laughs> I hey. competed. I competed as a one forty eight, and it was a blank slate. That, and I was I was like a record holder. That's for just a, a footnote. Fle- that's just for a footnote. A, a fleeting moment. Yeah. So as long as we're being transparent, we're all. We're all here. <laughs> you mean no I no no eleven hundred pound totals? No no not, not not at that point in time. No far, far from it. Yeah. Oh man, that's so funny. So that that kind of yeah, really yeah. got the got got the juices going towards that, and and kind of got you keyed into the the field and the space of that. It did, yeah. I mean, at that point in time, the education was you know a Gold's Gym manual, and I picked up a right. nutrition book, a, a nutrition book at the local Walden Books at the time, right? The brick and mortar bookstore at the local May, mall. May Walden Books rest in peace. My, that came up my yeah. wife and I the other day because I was saying now. Uh-huh. You know, in the UK, they still have Waterstones, but um, yeah, we were talking about the demise of Borders, and then I was like, "What is the other one?" And she was like, "Was it Bolden?" Yeah. So yeah, good yeah. old Bolden books. Yeah, if you needed like an Arnold book or something like that, yeah, you can go in there yeah. and get that. Yeah, right on that bookshelf right behind me, the the first training book that I have is the Gold's Gym Training Encyclopedia. Right? Wow, black black and white photos, a bunch of guys all wired and jacked up, and you know, sixteen totally. different sixteen different versions of a peck fly, and uh, it's awesome, right? Awesome, pure, just pure <laughs> training. That was like my first. That was my education at the time, like many other fifteen, sixteen year olds. But but we got linked up with a local uh, masters champion deadlifter, powerlifter that that um, that volunteered his time to train. You know, a handful of guys that were on the powerlifting team, and there was a uh, a pretty influential coach. I think it was offensive line coach Scott Bird, who was kind of like the link between that that uh, that mm. resource and and us. And knew that that was going to help a lot of us kind of get stronger and contribute once the season started and everything. So that was my first formal exposure to training and it got me super interested. Uh, He even had his own supplement line that he like talked to us about and everything. And I'm like, this is like a cool world. Like I wouldn't mind digging into that. And you start looking into the the majors that are out there that would give you a chance to do that and landed on exercise science and, and the strength and conditioning piece came from me being um, introduced to athletics at Temple University through a student athletic equipment manager position as an undergraduate. 
So again, jokingly say all the time, my first job in sports, high level sports was, was washing laundry. That's hey. literally, that's, that's literally what it was. Like sound familiar TD from the Bakersfield days. I washed a days. lot of laundry out in Bakersfield, man. I, oh, I washed yeah. a lot of laundry. So, so did you guys have the mesh laundry bags or did you have the loops at that we, time? We had the, we had a little bit of both. The, the mm-hmm. problem with the mesh is the, you know, the strings get all tied up. You can never get them back open, all that stuff. The mm-hmm. loops, once the loops came in, man, that was game changer. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't forget too, because we we didn't have we didn't use the strings around the mesh bag. We used the metal pins, those big old like. Oh wow! And don't don't take those things out of the dryer and grab that thing. It's like a third <laughs> third degree burn on those. Those, right. those, those that happened many, oh, many man. times pulling dry laundry bags oh, out of it and putting them in the bin. Man, oh man. Yeah. Yep. Some good, so, um, some good laundry stories I could get into. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's doing laundry for the visiting team, depending on how the how much the tip was the time before. You know how many wrinkles you get this time around. Well, I think we should <laughs> we should bring in um, Gary Vitti on this as well because he's still got some grudges, and I think it was maybe a guy on the Sixers who he was like, "You are the only one that stiffed me, and I'm coming for you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. VD's, VD's so, still, uh, yeah, still, watch still out, people, for the uh, the forthcoming laundry episode featuring TD, Jesse, <laughs> and the man himself, I'm, Mr. Gary Beatty. I'm, I'm telling you, you could get more than a handful of equipment guys throughout the history. I mean, just the NBA guys that you and I would know, Tim, and no take doubt. some from the other leagues. What an amazing, amazing episode that would be. Those guys have the best stories. They really do. Well, here you go. This was the genesis yeah. right here. <laughs> so yeah so sorry to get off on a long so no yeah so take us back so you're at temple and that's that's really Mm -hmm. you you kind of get the introduction there and and then what what happens happens then you know so so that's like the little toenail on the door with athletics and through that you meet the strength and conditioning coach and you kind of see what those guys are doing in the off season and again never knew what a division one strength and conditioning program looked like how would i but you know, all along, I'm taking all of my undergrad exercise science courses. So you got your biomechanics and you got your motor learning and you got your ex-phys and, and all of that stuff. And it's like, huh, would you mind if I volunteered? Would you mind if I just came in and observed, you know, in the afternoon, either when the football team's working out or even any of the other sports uh, and the strength coaches who I was able to meet as a byproduct of, you know, helping them set up their equipment and all that stuff. They, you know, graciously accepted and said, sure, you know, we'll take another set of eyes. And that's how I got introduced to, you know, kind of structured high level strength and conditioning at that university. And then an opportunity came up that, you know, they, they had an opening, actually two openings for a, a graduate assistant positions, both of their GA strength coaches, which at the time, major division one university, there was only four, four positions, four strength coaches at the school, two yeah. full-time, two, two grad assistants. And both of them left in the same year, and that coincided with some other changes within the athletic department. And I, I, I was able to, and this was as a result of a request, right, and, and me asking for the opportunity, but, uh, but got hired on as an undergraduate assistant strength and conditioning coach uh, with real responsibilities, like overseeing teams and everything as an undergrad and took wow. the place of one of, took the place of one of those graduate assistants. Wow. Um, so, so GA strength coach taking undergrad classes 
classes. And I believe me, didn't know anything about anything, right? I didn't have any program design responsibilities, but I did, I did implement programs that were written for me from the, from the full-time guys and was the fourth set of eyes for football and was the, you know, second set of eyes for women's basketball. And then, you know, they, they handed me after I, you know, after some time, they handed me uh, responsibility to oversee the programming for some of the, uh, some of the, um, some of the other Olympic sports there. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that, that was it. And then it's like, cool, I'm in, I love this. Uh, I want an internship. Right. And I, you know, sought out an internship in the NFL. I ended up landing with the Eagles and then that led to NFL Europe and, you know, uh, you know, just like one good, good things, I think, you know, pile on. Take us into Uh, that. Take us into that. You do a good job. Take us into that football phase a little bit. You just kind of casually mentioned the Eagles and NFL Europe in passing, but (laughs) zoom in on that for a second and, and maybe, you know, talk a little bit about the, the soft skills that you were able to learn in that, that you alluded to earlier with TD, as well as obviously the practical skills, as you said, with program design and implementation. Sure. So it's actually pretty timely right now because the, the NFL internship came as a result of, you know, and this is where we're all dating ourselves now and everything, but it came as a result of stuffing envelopes, right? Their, their email wasn't popular enough at the time. Yeah, we're yeah. going back, we're going back to like 1997, 98. And, you know, it's me looking up all of the NFL strength coaches addresses, right? Typing them up on that, like that, that rigid resume paper, right? That, yeah, I don't know yeah. if people, people use it anymore, but cover letter, resume, list of references, stuffing 32 envelopes, two straight Super Bowls, right? I remember both of those Super Bowls that I sat in front, I watched the Super Bowls and I stuffed envelopes because really? I wanted it. I wanted an NFL internship for my degree. Like everybody else, you needed to, you needed to complete an internship for the degree. So first year got zero, got some replies. I mean, there were some really uh, high character strength coaches that got back to me and didn't have any opportunities, but they were like, you know, Hey, we don't take on interns or it's already full, but you know, good luck. Check back with us next year. And then the second year I did it, I actually got three, right? And one of them happened wow. to be in Philadelphia. It, it was local. It was in Philadelphia. I didn't have to move. I had no money to move at the time. And uh, and it worked out really well. So I landed on staff and thankful and appreciative to Mike Wolf, who was the head strength coach at the time, and Tom Canavy, who was kind of like my direct report and took me under his wing. Uh, and those guys took a chance on me as an intern, right, with the, with the Eagles that year. So that was 1999. And that was Andy Reid's very first year as a head coach. It was that staff and uh, and Donovan McNabb's rookie year as a as a quarterback. Yeah, so Incredible. That, that that lends some reference points to the dates rather than just that's, throwing the throwing the yeah. year around. That makes it that makes it a little more meaningful, right? That's perfect. <laughs> but I the thing that I really want to underline there, if you go back a little bit and tease out some of the important things and and just this <clears throat> common denominator that you see and how you approached your craft or getting, as you said, the the toenail in the door, it was you as a, you're over there doing laundry, getting this exposure to athletics at the high D1 level. And you say, I want more. And you take the initiative at that moment to say, Hey, I, if there's an opportunity, I would love one. And lo and behold, there's an opportunity. There's two people leave and that it opens up. But I think that too often there's this 
ten tendency to wait for it to just somehow happen by itself. But you've got to put yourself in these positions. And then when you're there, be enjoyable to be around, be somebody that is dependable and doing the right things and owning your role and that kind of stuff. But you, you've got to take initiative to get yourself in those positions. And then again, sitting there watching two straight Super Bowls, stuffing envelopes, there's a lot of people that don't, well, that's, I probably should send some stuff over, but how much time and effort is that going to take? I'm going to have to get all the stamps. I'm going to get enough to all this other stuff. We've had Clay Mosier on and he he talks about the idea of how many letters he sent to coaches to get mm-hmm. his into just, Hey, can I work your camp in the, in the summers? And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. next thing he knows, he's bringing lunch up to Jimmy V and at, at the camp at NC state and becoming close with him. And next thing he knows from there, he's on the bench. So yeah. it's just that it's just this common thread that we hear and see. And, and it's so cool to hear it reiterated by you. So, okay. So then the football piece is opens up. It, it kind of probably brings you back to some of your football days at that point, And you get a, a chance to go growing up being a football player, you get a chance to see now this side of it and you're in and around the Eagles. And how long does that last? And, and then I think you eventually go from there with St. Joe's the stop after that. Uh, not right away. There were a okay. couple couple stops. In Fill between. it in for me. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of that season, an opportunity came up with NFL Europe. And I, I do, I kind of remember it, you know, not like it was yesterday, but it was a really kind of pivotal moment that that was um, a really cool opportunity. And I remember that the, the league at the time, NFL Europe was just a couple of years old as it was defined by that. Right. It was an extension of the World League that had started about 10 years earlier. But um, an opportunity came up for six individuals to go over to NFL Europe and serve as the team strength coaches, right? That minor league system for the NFL at the time. And the strength coach, again, brought it to my attention and said, hey, are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) right. Insert insert expletive in front of that. I'm like, yeah, for sure. And, um, and again, you know, luck meets opportunity, I guess, and hard work a little bit. And, you know, and, and I ended up, you know, getting, getting named one of those guys and then got assigned to the team in Barcelona. Uh, so a month long training camp in Orlando, you go down there in March and then the season lasted from April to June. It was just a 10 week season and, you know, was able, I mean, it's an, an amazing city and, and the team is actually stationed a half hour South of Barcelona, right on the Mediterranean sea, gorgeous hotel. And that was, that team was actually one of the original, uh, NFL or, um, world league teams. So they had been in operation for again, 10 or 11 years prior to that year. So they kind of had a system in place. They knew they went back to the same hotel every year. The the town was very familiar with them. Um, The personnel that worked at the hotel, it was owned by this remarkable family of brothers that owned a number. They were in the kind of hotel and tourism business. And, and uh, it was pretty, it was fairly well established at least in that location. And um, my first chance to be a head strength coach. Uh, And, and again, like you look back and laugh at how, ill-prepared I was to take on that head man role at well, that age. Take us, take us into that because, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. I think it's important yeah. is take us into that because 
that's really, if I'm following along correctly, that's the first moment that you're fully in charge of the strength and conditioning duties of an entire team, be it from programming all the way to the coaching and everything, all the other hats that a strength and conditioning coach wears, right? That's the first time that's hand, the keys are handed over to you. What, what's going through your head at that moment? And then what do you say to an entry level coach now who might be listening, who's about to inherit or just inherited their first team? Mm-hmm. Well, you go in with this, you know, confidence, right? You hope you don't cross the line to arrogance, but you go in with this confidence, like, yeah, I just That's earned right. a head strength coach role and I, I'm ready. Like I, you know, and, and you believe that at least I did, uh, because of the effort you put in to learning strength and conditioning, right. Yeah. Came from a, came from a, um, multi-set Olympic lifting based system, uh, at, Temple University. We were on the platform full two full days a week, all variations of Olympic uh, progressions, both clean grip and snatch grip, and multi-set traditional Tudor Bampa periodization, and you know that. And yeah. that's what we that's what we did. And, and and I left there thinking, oh, cool, I know exactly how to train athletes, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And then I go and then I go to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they had a different philosophy. They they were by the book high intensity training, so they were they were all machine based. Hammer strength, Nautilus, wow. you know, sing, single set to failure, high intensity, and, and implemented an incredible system under that philosophy. And I remember that being an eye opener. And I'm thinking, huh, there's a lot more to training athletes that, you know, two very different systems. Yeah. And, you know, even the layout of the weight room, like there, there wasn't a rack in, in that weight room at all. You know, they had a Smith machine they had a, a flat bench and an incline and everything else was machine based and everything. And, and that was that philosophy for that, you know, half the NFL was wow. training that way. So, so much time. for, uh, so you, so much for your Javoric complexes. <laughs> yeah. Not doing much, not doing much of those there. No, not at all. <laughs> But, but successful philosophy because of the, the coaches, right, and their commitment to that philosophy behind it and how they implemented it and the relationships that they, that they developed with the, the team athletes at the time. And I learned a, a ton about training and stuff that I still take with me to that day, you know, not subscribing wholeheartedly to that philosophy nor any other individual philosophy, but you either pull pieces from it, right, and then you just build in what, what you feel, you know, fits best. So you take both of those, and I feel like I am fully prepared for a head NFL role, despite being young, right, and not really yep. having a headman experience. And then, oh my gosh, <laughs> you get smacked in the face with the reality, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember a couple weeks in, a couple things coming up with respect to like guys not showing up for workouts and course i was in charge of working with the hotel on team meals and i want to say there was like maybe a phone call from a scout who was and this is by the time we get over to spain and cultural difference with food right and i'm sure yep. you, know, you guys have experienced this you go over there and their version of steak is not at all what our <laughs> version whatever when you put steak on the menu you feel like what you're gonna get is kind of what you're familiar with and very different so what happened in the first like two to three weeks uh, a ton of, you know, we had 350 pound linemen dropped 15, 20 pounds in the first couple of weeks of being over there oh and word my. got, and word got back to the NFL teams that allocated them there. So I'm taking phone calls of like these unhappy scouts are like, what are you guys doing over there? And what are you going to do? We can't, this guy can't come back to training camp in, in July at like three twenty five. <laughs> like, what are you going to do oh about it? And, you know, put that on the, the, uh, the attendance stuff and everything. And I'm going, huh? 
I remember, I remember this moment. It's like, you're thinking like all of this stuff you were able to punt to the headman before. Sure. You didn't have to deal with this administrative stuff. You were just an assistant. And anytime a guy showed up late for a workout or didn't show up, you were just that, you know, that outside, you know, that probably had your own opinion about it and, but, but didn't have to deal with it directly. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, nobody else there, right? Nobody else to answer the phone and nobody else to deal with the guy that walks in late or, you know, doesn't do the team warm. You know, that's the other one, right? You're in front of 45 guys doing the team warm up and you got three or four in the back just just looking around, not really doing it. You know, that, that's a pretty powerful moment with how you handle that in front of a whole staff of coaches, veteran senior coaches that all spent time in the NFL at some point in time. And, 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 and what do you, how do you handle that with respect to how the other players see how you handle that and, you know, command respect and make sure you have a system that people, that people want to follow. Um, so anyway, it was just a huge eye opener. And, and, and that's the message. I mean, when you say, what do you, what do you tell to younger coaches and everything that, that transition from assistant to head, which inevitably many, many people go through in, in any, not just strength and conditioning, right? Any industry, you go from employee to manager or assistant coach to head coach, whatever it is, the, the, the skills that, that uh, earmarked you for a good candidate to be promoted many times are not the ones that you'll need to be successful in the new role. And, and that's not a, you know, that's not an unheard of message. I know that's said over and over, but once you're, you're faced with that and you realize that, man, the, the leadership skills and the relationship building skills and the ability to communicate, like, again, in, in one day or maybe even one hour, right, you take a phone call, right? No cell phones at the time, right? So you take, a, you, you take a phone call in your hotel room, right? And it, it's patched in from the front desk and it's like a scout from the Denver Broncos or the New England Patriots. I mean, you know, figuratively and literally chewing your ear off, Um and then you got to walk down and report to the head coach, maybe about that phone call or some other issue, right? And that's a whole different communication style to talk to your coach. And then you walk down the street to the weight room that we had that was about a half a block away. And now you got to communicate to 20-ish like type players in a weight room environment. You got to coach them and lead them and, and take yeah. them through your workouts and everything. And three very different communication packages, three very different communication styles. And the skills that you need to draw from to do those well had very little to do with what I was doing as an undergraduate strength coach at Temple three years earlier, right? No it just, they're just different. So that, that's the message to the young people that are listening and everything. It's like, and it's almost the driver behind the book and the message. It's like, there's yes. this whole other skill set that empowers you to be really good. You can be good without it, right? And there's plenty of smart people, but to be really impactful that, you know, balance it out, right? You got to learn those as well. And some of them do come with experience, but then there's, you know, other ways that you can seek out and maybe fast track it a little bit as well, as long as you acknowledge they need and should be developed. So good. How did yeah. you learn on your feet? Um, Cause a lot of people that would have crushed them, they would have been booking a, <laughs> booking a ticket from Barcelona back to mm-hmm. Philly, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. or you just, you know, constantly maybe somebody else might feel, just like the weight of the world is on their shoulders and, and that just becomes paralyzing. So how did you avoid that kind of paralysis or the urge sometimes maybe to again, get on a plane or say, this isn't for me. And how did you, how did you figure it out in real time while obviously having to figure stuff out and put it into practice and, and trial and error, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. 
Well, everything you just mentioned, the, those extreme extremities, right, or extreme moments, that they all happened at one point in time. I was thinking <laughs> of all of that. <laughs> you know, maybe not as far as looking up a plane ticket to get back to Philly, but but you uh, were. Your point is, you were sitting there, and this is a question that I had: Was there ever a point in your process where you're like, "What am I doing here? Do I is it? Did I pick the right thing? Is that what you're saying?" multiple times, yeah. multiple times. Yeah. And, it, and it was usually on the heels of some challenge that was unexpected that I never yeah. dealt with before that I didn't feel like I handled well enough. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm remembering guys that, uh, guys that chose not to lift. Right. And, and, you know, it was a, it was environment again, the, the team culture is set by others, but yeah. you know, we weren't going to, we, you know, we, we weren't going to find anybody. We weren't going to, you right. know, it wasn't, it wasn't that type of environment. So, so really, um, from a from a pride standpoint, and from a recognition of doing a really good job as the as the team's only strength and conditioning coach, the the way one of the ways I was personally defining that was just attendance, right? Who's showing up? Who's coming to workouts regularly? Because that's the only opportunity you really have to to help the guys grow. And remember, this is a roster of thirty ish guys, right? You had uh, some international players that probably you know probably had NFL goals, but but realistically didn't have a shot. But the other 35 or so, they were all going to NFL camps in a couple of months. Right. right? And, and and trying to make teams, right? They were borderline guys that had to fight for, you know, uh, special team spots or, you know, that those last couple open spots. So it wasn't while it was the off season, it, it wasn't the off season. You had to help get those guys ready. And you can't do that if they don't come and and they don't show up. And one of the one of the ways they show up is the relationship that you have with them, right? Have you earned the relationship to make them want to come to the room regularly? And there's some obviously some inherently motivated guys that are going to show up anyway. Uh, because that's just the way they're wired. But then there's those other guys where it's very contingent upon the program and the person implementing the program. So I, I took that personally and those heavy moments when guys, you know, call it non-compliance, but um, you, 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 you look within yourself. And I remember doing this sitting on the hotel bed being like, man, where, where am I missing the mark? What am I not doing? And how am I not getting through to this guy? Or, or man, I don't like how I handled that when I did have to have that conversation with him about maybe missing a workout or, or what we're going to do for the upcoming week to make sure that you're kind of maybe proactively getting out in front of them, showing up and everything. So th those, those were heavy moments for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah. I remember the nutrition part of this too, where there were enough, again, we talked about the weight loss element, but right. I remember, I remember like menu selection being like a, a weekly heavy moment that, you know, you're, and, and Tim, you know, this, you were as engaged oh, in, team, in team nutrition as anybody is, but, but, um, you know, the, the buffet line, right. And, and, and if it's, if, if you're tasked with creating that buffet line, right. And it was in a hotel and, and, and it was a really good restaurant, but again, the, 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 the gap was between how their culture prepared food and selected food, right. Versus like what we would expect from, you know, again, the bulk of the roster was American based players. So I remember a moment where, uh, I thought it would be cool to add stuffed peppers, Right. So it got like three or four, three or four weeks into the, 
to the menu and things felt like they were getting repetitive, right? And you yeah. know, how many times how many times can you serve grilled chicken and you know exactly. different things? So it was like, you know what, let's for dinner tonight, let's throw something else at them. Let's try a stuffed pepper and you know, nutritionally responsible. I think we stuffed it with like ground turkey and you know, seasoned right. and you know, all that stuff and everything. Well, again, only a cultural gap because generally the the chefs in the hotel did a wonderful job at, at attempting to do a really uh, put out some really high level stuff. But the, the the peppers were served and they were stuffed and they it literally looked like kind of like open heart surgery like it just <laughs> like it, it was you know, so, so they have these like peppers in now and that was like kind of the primary protein there might have been again maybe a, tra- a tray of grilled man. chicken on the side for alternatives and like to a man everybody walked in right and you know this right you know you're kind of oh. like you want to see what the reaction is when everybody gets into the line and to a man not one single person including coaches and, and including some of the low maintenance eaters and everything <laughs> they just walked right by that tray and was yeah. like, given the given the gas face like uh no not today <laughs> not tonight and um oh and and, and and inevitably again like you know a couple of the coaches are like come on check Yes, come on. Like, right. We got to we got to do better than this. <laughs> oh like, man, you're like, and that's at that moment. Yeah. It's just I've been there mm-hmm. plenty of times, and it's like, mm-hmm. you, it's like the airline commercial or, or whatever <clears throat> commercial I'm thinking of here. You want to get away, right? And and it's just like, oh man, you're just mm-hmm. the, your your face is just getting red, and you, there's no no, you, no escape. You know, you there's wear no you wear that heavy because you start thinking it's like, oh gosh, like this is this is the meal for the guy. Oh right? man, and now you've just forced them when you don't give them something they actually want to eat or can consume that they got to go out and spend their own money and they may not make the best choices at that point in time and nobody's making big money in a league like that and it's like that's one of the benefits right you get to eat for free you know so yeah you, right you know you f- turn over that night you fumbled it that night and, and but, and but to the, the point <laughs> go ahead mm-hmm. now we're saying we're saying this jokingly but i i, I wore that i wore that really oh man like, that Dang. hurts that hurts yeah. because you're you're saying this is uh, you know they're leaning on me for this and and mm-hmm. like you said on paper oh yeah stuffed peppers this they're gonna love this man <laughs> they're gonna this could be something different they're gonna love this and then so you get someone in my case you get someone like Swaggy P Nick Young walks through the line mm-hmm. and loudest guy on the team of course and then yeah. we just wait oh man wait till he sees us I man, can dude, hear what the, what I the can heck? hear his voice what is this. <laughs> Remember, we had we had him in Philly too. Remember, oh, I, I can, I can uh, hear exactly. that voice right now. Man, man too. Too, what is this bullshit? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> get this shit out of here. Uh, just hanging it up, holding it up, hold. I, you know, you just see him. I, if he goes uh-huh. through that line, he's just gonna pick up one of those peppers and hold it up to the rest of the team. What the? This is what you're feeding us, man. Mm-hmm. And you're just yep. wanting to crawl, dig a hole, and crawl in, and mm. it's brutal. But to your you. to your point, it's like mm-hmm. I. And I've told stories about, and you brought up another moment that's really tough for a new coach, a new strength coach to be handed the keys to is that team warm up. And like you said, you've got these veteran savvy coaches who have just chiseled themselves over time into just knowing exactly they can, with the look of an eye, they can get a guy to do something. And they're standing there on the sideline watching it. How are you going to do this? And you're, you're saying you've got this list of a hundred different things you got. You want to get them just right physically for the, for the practice to start. And all of a sudden guys start, the guy in the back starts doing his own thing. No, I don't Mm -hmm. like that stretch, this kind of thing. I remember a time we're in Vegas for a preseason game. And Mike Brown was the coach and I start 
going into what we're going to do. We start them on the floor. We start moving and then time to get up and, and I start having guys say to me, Hey, and you know, what stays in, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I mean, they had definitely gone out and had a, had a ball the night before. And so they're, they're just walking in there, just, just, they're, they're, they're smelling of it basically. Mm -hmm. And, and they're like, Tim, you got to go tell Mike coach Brown, you got to go tell him we're not going to do a dynamic stretch right now. We're going to lay on the floor and you can make us look like we're doing some stretches here, but we're not going to do the whole thing that you usually dance around with us on. And I'm like, uh-huh. Oh man, come on guys, let's go. And they're like, no, for yeah, real, yeah. we're not, we're not getting up right now. We know that we need another 10 minutes down here. Keep, keep doing the stuff on the floor. And, yeah. uh, and then I'm looking over Mike's like, you know, he's, he knows what time I usually get him up and get him moving. Mm-hmm. He's looking at me. I'm looking yeah. at him and yeah. you just, you know, you just, you figure it out, but it's, you gotta, yeah. there's a little negotiation that goes on, but your, your yeah. point was, was it, it's the relationships that you, there's no good way to do that early on other than because you just haven't had the time to develop the relationships and then they get to know you, you start to have conversations with them and you, you start to be able to command what you need to command in, in a respectful, responsible way, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I I remember those types of moments as well too. Somebody, somebody grabs you on the side and has some type of warm up request that's different than what you had planned. And you just, uh, yeah. How about the one at the end of it? It's like, you know, you know, you're at the end of your regular routine and so do all of the guys, but somebody comes over and was like, Hey man, I need eight more minutes. Yeah, I need, yeah, yeah. I need some, the, something the, comes up. The head coach or the coach, the, the assistant coach. Something. Yeah, yeah. Like, Somebody runs out from. Uh, you can see they're powwowing <laughs> the coaches, and then the, the they send the yep. assistant, the third assistant over. Tell tell yeah. just tell just extend yeah. it out another yeah, eight minutes. Like, oh I'm, man, I'm, 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 we're done. We did it. That's everything. it. They know we're done. They know we're done. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> right. I <laughs> I think I had just blocked that one out, but. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you make it through this NFL Europe experience. And then when you you've, you've now taken the normal first coaching gig, strength coaching gig lumps and and you've learned from them. And then where, where do you go next? Yeah. So I, the, from there was my last kind of football team associated job. I went to, to Hofstra university. I was the head strength coach for the football team there and uh, cool kind of, you know, since we're talking basketball and uh, that was also Jay Wright, right? The head coach of Villanova. Yeah. That, was his, that was his last year at uh, Villanova or uh, at Hofstra wow. uh, prior to leaving, leaving for Villanova uh, and Speedy Claxton, which is kind of one of, of the players, players to come out of Hofstra had just been drafted by the Sixers the previous year. So yeah. some, some cool basketball contacts there. But so I, I leave there, take, got out of uh, once Hofstra ended ended up working for a sporting goods company for a year that when I was looking for the next job and I, and I landed with this private training center that, that I referenced, okay. right? This is, this is the place where I met Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. And yep. And we had, uh, again, we had as many as four different, you know, independent retail training centers in the based in suburban Philadelphia. And I had a couple different roles for that company over the course of nearly 10 years. Uh, first as just kind of a performance coach on the floor. And then, um, as we opened up new centers, I took on kind of like a general manager type role where I oversaw uh, business operations and, and programming and everything for a couple centers. And then um, the owner, incredibly well networked within the Philadelphia sports uh, athletics community and everything, he, he negotiated two 
uh, high level strength and conditioning contracts. And one of them was with St. Joe's university where they, they hired this company instead of hiring their own full-time wow. strength coaches. Yep. And, and we represented the strength and conditioning of the university for, I think it was an eight year deal. We ended up being, being with them. Wow. You and probably wouldn't see that much anymore, right? I, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. It's, wow. it's becoming more, I mean, physical therapy is still contracted out and maybe right. you have, maybe you have your second or third athletic trainer in a room where they, they might lean on a private company, um, to, to, to farm that out. But, um, but so no, all of a sudden you're in with St. Joe's yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was awesome. I, I, I did serve as the strength coach for a hand for a hand, brief periods of time in that eight years, but usually was involved in hiring the person that was there. And, you know, they, they worked for the company, but they were placed on site at St. Joe's. Um, you know, obviously the, the cash cow there, the main sport there is basketball. And, yeah. and we were, we were actually with them during that, that great season that they had back in 2004. Well, I was going to ask. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Delonte yep. West, uh, Jameer Nelson, Nelson, yep. John uh, Bryant, John Bryant was on that squad. And of course, mm-hmm. legendary coach Phil Martelli, right? Yep, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was awesome. I mean, you couldn't time anything better in terms of, uh, of, uh, you know, alliance or a, a link with a successful team. I mean, they were the darling of NCAA basketball that year for a number of reasons and deservedly so uh, sure. undefeated for the year. I mean, Jameer right. at the time, I, I think, I don't know if it still stands, but at the time he was the most decorated individual award athlete that year. I believe I think sure. he won, I think he won every single individual award that he was eligible for that year. I mean, just <laughs> remarkable. Um, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the marketing at that point in time is like, yeah, and, and, and summit was there with them. We, we were with them, right. It's, that is right. loose tie to like, yeah, we did that, you know, right. <laughs> right. Uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that was at that point in time. And then the, the second contract was with the Sixers. Uh, so kind of the same scenario, wow. the team, the team hired the company for their strength and conditioning services instead of hiring their own, you know, full-time person, uh, for that period of time. Uh, and I was placed, you know, uh, working for the company, I was placed in the contract and that. So my first four years with the Sixers were actually as a consultant working for that other company. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So yep. cool. Yep. Yeah. So during, <clears throat> during some of that time, take us into what that was like or what your, what your goals were from some of those opportunities. Did you have, did you see things coming to avenues and routes that could bring you to then what led after that? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the first, the first thought and, and feelings were, were thankful, right. That yeah. the, that the, the contract, again, the, the company was summit sports training center. Steve mountain was the primary owner. He's a, a sports agent represents athletes and entertainers and uh, an incredible boss who, you know, I've learned from I actually named him in the book as, you know, I consider him one of the, one of the key people in my life, a mentor type person that taught me so much. I'd be right. thankful, thankful to him for, for a very long time. But um, he, you know, negotiated that contract and then incredibly thankful and fortunate to, to be involved in it. So, uh, that's why I said, I, you know, at one point earlier in the conversation, I, I said I kind of have a, a different path to the NBA than a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, w- I was kind of placed there because I was already working with another company like that. That that was my entry into the NBA. And um, it was tricky as a consultant, right, because the you know, you, you didn't they didn't have to renew it every year. 
right? And and yeah. you know, you you really did feel like you were on a constant proving brown, ground representing the company, number one. And then, you know, obviously making sure that you service all of the players the way of, you know, a full-time strength coach would, right? So um, after that first year, I did go on the road full-time with them and traveled full-time while having responsibilities at the, at the training center as well. And uh, again, you felt an obligation, you know, even more so, you know, the, the, everyone's internal pride, obviously you always want to do a good job wherever you are, but, but I was also kind of the representative of this other company, of this other company. And, sure. you know, it's pretty important to do a good job to make sure you continue to, to earn the contract each year. Um, so that, that was different. Right. And obviously you, you're kind of serving two different entities and that yeah. got me in. I, I say this a lot. There was a big one there. That's where I, I really learned that reporting uh, documentation with like the type of job you're doing is, is critically important. Um, you know that from a programming standpoint, I mean, you want to you know, obviously keep good logs of all your volume progressions and exercise progressions in terms of your workouts and everything. But there was another element that, that you almost had to make sure you, you documented just the job you were doing. Um, because again, the owner of the training center was, certainly speaking with the front office personnel of the Sixers and making sure that that relationship stayed strong as a byproduct of the work we were doing there. And then I have to report to those same people, right? You know, as if you were the, as if you were the team's strength and conditioning coach. So to constantly being communicated, you know, day to day verbally, like everybody else would, but also having that backing of a, of a um, documented report each week. So I, I would submit a weekly report every week and, and uh, they were a pain in the ass. I hated doing them all the right. time. It was like every time I had to sat down to do it, it was like a thorn and I felt like it was taking me away from something more important in terms of time. But man, did I lean on those things? I, I look back and I leaned on those things a ton for, you know, sometimes information to look back about what happened or just, again, presenting it to new leadership a lot. A lot of, you know, new general, new GMs come in. They want to inform themselves and educate themselves about the players and the roster that they inherited and everything. And those, those reports serve very well in a number of different ways. So that that was a big learning experience for that, that point in time. Yeah, great point. Yeah, where were, mm-hmm. so where was the team at when you came into that role? I mean, who was on the roster at that point, and um, how did you start trying to again start from scratch with these players to build relationships, build that kind of trust that, as you said earlier, not just leads to adherence but leads yep. to uh, to progress both kind of in the weight room and and outside of it. Yep. So the, the, the names on that roster, you had a, a, a second year Lou Williams. You had a third or fourth year, Andre Iguodala. Um, Willie Green was on the roster. Kevin Ollie, right? He's now the head coach down at Overtime Elite, right? right he was right. you know, one of those uh, amazing veterans. You had a, a young Sam D'Alembert in the post. Of course, that second year, we, we signed Elton Brand in the offseason. That was going into, I believe, my, my third year. Those were like you know, some of the names. Some of the names for that that important time, and then kind of took on some veterans. Remember that my first year was the year we traded uh, we traded AI, so he goes to Denver, and we bring back Andre Miller, and we bring back Joe Smith. I think was in that trade, right? So there's like some wow. other you know really good NBA veterans that that all happened in my first year. Kyle Korver was on that team, um, you know, and then you know quickly after that you had uh, trying to think some of the other. Uh, post players at the time Danielle Marshall was in at one point Theo Ratliff came in as a backup centers like you know those were those were some of the bigger names for that point in time and, who was and then the coach and then at you, that time 
uh, initially yeah. it was it was mo- initially it was Mo Cheeks, right? right? And then tra- transition. There was a year Tony DeLeo took over as okay. an interim, and then that transitioned to Eddie Jordan, and then Doug Collins came. Doug Collins, I was going to say, that, okay, that was yeah. over the course of my first six, seven-ish years or so. Yep. Wow. So, yep. so Jess, how did that work in terms of because it was a at, in some of those years it was a contracted position? Were Were you traveling mm-hmm. with the team as well? I was after the first yeah. year. Yes. Full-time okay. Travel. Okay. So there was a year though, the, where you were acting as the strength coach, but not track traveling. Yes. Just, just, just going on wow. uh, some of some of the longer trips. That was that first year. Yeah. Wow. That had to be yeah. tricky. That had to be really it tricky. Was, it was, you know, as you know, the road is, you know, very much an opportunity to connect, right? You're yeah. going to lift guys and everything, but it's also an opportunity. You're on planes, you're on buses, you're in hotels together, you sit down, you eat team meals together. So those are great conversation opportunities. And, you know, the the supplementary stuff that comes with uh, the strength coach athlete relationship and all yep. that stuff. And, and, and yeah, you, you, you know, and not the least of which you'd come back and you'd find out like some real uh, important information, right? Yeah. That, you know, with respect to the guys, maybe like an injury occurred or, you know, something that, that happened while the team was on the road and, and you were back home. So yeah, there were some challenges like anything else you make at work, but there were, yeah, you know, for yeah, sure. Talk, talk about that a little bit, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of, I think it's easy to forget that strength and conditioning sports science in this big umbrella of performance and whatever you want to call it is so entrenched now, if we're talking specifically about the NBA in terms of what it, what a sports medicine staff and performance staff looks like. It's, it's just always going to have the head strength coach, the assistant strength coach. You may have interns, you may have the sports science department and everything else in between before you get over into the rehab and PT and athletic trainers. This is a big staff now and it's, it's a given, but before that wasn't the case always. No, no. In fact, that, that, that staff was the shining definition of lean and mean. (laughs) So, and, and, and again, if you just looked at the full-time people that worked for the team at that time, head trainer, assistant trainer, full-time soft tissue therapist. Wow. That, that, that represented the full-time resources for the team, right. In, in, In sports medicine, the strength coach was contracted out. The physical therapy was contracted out. And, you know, and then dietitian and sports psych and everything, those, those were local resources you could tap into whenever you needed them as well. Unbelievable. Um, so, but, but um, in, in terms of the day to day, both of those contracts with physical therapy and strength and conditioning, they were on site. I mean, if anybody walked in the room, yeah. they would think you work for the team, you're wearing the team gear and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you wouldn't know if you were watching, but you know, in terms of the organizational structure, that was the nature of it at that point in time. Man, credit to you mm-hmm. in that, because that is just, it's hard enough in a full-time gig to have people that may be your assistant or that are supplementary to helping you get your job done. And then that you could do it full-time. You're always traveling. It's insight in mind or on mind and it's out of sight, out of mind. So I just can't even imagine that first year where there's times you're not traveling and there is sort of that lack of continuity when the, when the they're on the road and they're, you're wondering if they're getting their stuff in or they're coming back and they've developed bad habits on a long road trip or something like that. That had to be really mm-hmm. tough. Yeah, it was a challenge. I mean, I, I didn't have a reference point, you know, being the first right, year, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know how it was supposed to go. Good point. Uh, and and had a great, you know, again, my 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 immediate supervisor, you know, Kevin Johnson, who's still there, uh, the head athletic trainer, is yeah. still there now. Um, 
awesome person. Great, you know, in terms of uh, our communication and everything, always kept me in the loop on everything. And Scott Faust, who's the head trainer with the Milwaukee Bucks right now, he was the assistant at the time. And we, oh, we wow. all had very, very strong relationships. So, so in terms of the, you know, maybe the, uh, the information or the update gap that would happen from not being there and seeing it yourself to having, you know, you, you close that pretty quickly, you know, either, you know, leading into the first day, maybe coming back from a trip. Got it. Uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, the, the stuff that, you know, a strength coach does while on the road, even right down to prepping a guy in that 90 minutes to two hours leading up to a game, right. Activation, anything they might do, lifting the non-rotation guys that can get, you know, workout in because they know you're not going to, they're not going to play a whole lot that night and everything. That stuff was probably missing because if you didn't have, you didn't have anybody on the road to oversee it. So, um, could you compare it? Yeah. Just different times. Mm -hmm. Sure. Could you compare and contrast a little bit, um, the challenges of, you know, you do your stuff, um, the college side a little bit you go you know to the eagles and then you're overseas um with with the barcelona team and even though that you know that barcelona roster wasn't the full nfl size roster it's still a bigger group to this more intimate setting of a smaller nba roster and the different challenges there and what some of those um challenges were initially and then how you kind of made that transition and again had to kind of learn by doing yeah I think the biggest difference, again, here's that word again, communication style, right? You're, you're, you're generally, the, the subject matter that you're communicating, um, probably not so different, right? You sets and reps and movement progressions and warm-up drills and, and nutritional advice and recovery, all of that stuff. But I think how you deliver it, there's, there's a big differentiator between when you serve as a, a college strength coach with primarily you know, younger athletes and you're seen much more as like a, a, a leadership figurehead, maybe even, you know, the college world, a lot of times that strength coach is seen as part of the coaching staff, right. And members of the coaching staff. And, and it's a little more top down, whereas you get to a pro environment. And again, at that point in time with my age and everything, about half that roster was older than me. Right. You know, yeah. and, and, and uh, the the approach that you take with a pro athlete that that has children, right? And many are married, and they have their own families. They've been around other strength coaches and everything. Uh, while you're basically kind of doing the same job and taking them through workouts, the way you deliver that is 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 probably the big difference. So there was a little bit of a learning curve for that too. And the, the time at the training center helped with that, right? Because we did have some some pros coming through at the time. But uh, and my time again, time with the Eagles and NFL Europe that that did prepare me for that. But, um, but you know, the basketball relative and kind of the, the how that um, the, the cultural norms and expectations with with that environment and that culture, you know, there was a little bit of a learning curve for sure that I had to that I had to figure out. And probably like everybody else, you try to make, you know, you learn from your mistakes and you hope the mistakes aren't so large that, that you right. that you lose that you lose people that in you the live, process that, that they're exactly they're, yeah. they're recoverable mistakes that you, you can get back pretty quickly. Jess, take us into a 24 hour window on the road, because what you talked about there is really such a good point by you. And I started to think, you know, a lot of times the strength coach, strength and conditioning coach 
may very well have as many touch points with these players on a 24 hour window of travel and, and there's night after night after night. But what does that look like from both the player's perspective, what they're being required to do, asked to do, need to do to get into those habits that you talked about, the routines, and then where does the strength coach weave into that? I thought, I, I think kind of piggybacking on to my, the, the previous question, I took an approach like maybe autonomy, maybe maybe player led and coach supported. I, I I felt like that was one of the one of the key yeah, call it systems or elements that I thought worked well, at least for the roster of guys I had for for um, that was on the team that I that um, at the time that I was there where. They certainly have to get their work in, right? And if, yeah. if you're talking about if you're talking about like a pregame warm up, right? And you know you have that clock ticking down. You get to the arena at like you know four thirty ish, right? And you have a seven o'clock game, and you know as soon as you enter the locker room, coming off the bus, that the, you know the clock starts, right? And you have to get a whole series of stuff in um, prior to tip off. You know, not the least of which is getting taped and getting your activation in. You get your shots up, right? You're with the coach, you're probably going to watch some film. Like there's you know there, there's activities that occur obviously you know you know that um i would always give within reason and and, and again I, I was i was the only person at the time didn't really have any help so so some right. of this got not some of this got knocked off just um organically but give the players the chance to kind of determine when they felt it was best to come in rather than this this rigid schedule. Again, we're just talking pregame prep right here. You know, the 10 yeah. to 15 minutes that the rotation guys would come in to get their work in and feel like in addition to their on-court shooting and their skill work that they came in and got something in with me as well. And um, I thought it I th- from a relationship standpoint, from a compliance standpoint, I felt like giving the players ownership and when that occurred was nice. a, was a was a successful strategy for the most part, right? There were some other guys that were like, you know, tell me what works for you, and you know, willing to work with you. But you know, for the most part, I thought that was um, I thought that was helpful. And then, you know, we moved in my later years, we moved towards even more individuality with respect to like, you know, individual team meals and, you know, some of the, some of the, even the nutritional stuff that yeah. the guys, you know, felt like they needed within their bodies to get them ready. You know, some guys did actually want their largest meal, but in the hotel on the road before they left. Right. So again, if you have a 415 bus, the guys would eat their own meal in the hotel between you know, call it three, three thirty or so. And that was like the last big thing they had. And all they needed was, you know, a little bit of take your edge, take the edge off type food prior to tip off, you know, in that, in that three to four hour window where there were some other guys. And this was both at, at home and on the road where they, you know, their individual needs and their experience with their own bodies, where they did want, you know, what would be determined a larger meal in that maybe two hour window prior to tip off. And at yeah. which point you want to work with them and you want to give them first, first and foremost, a nutritionally sound meal that has all the macronutrients that we know is going to help fuel them for the next yep. two and a half hours. Um, but also something that they want to eat. 
right? right. <laughs> and, 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 and once once you stamp off on the nutrition, it's like, okay, well, what can we get you that, you know, you're really going to, you know, it's going to fire you up to perform yeah. well that night, right? And one guy, it might be, you know, a couple chicken fajitas, right? And, right. And, and a little and a little side of rice, whereas another guy, you know, he might actually want to go with like a, you know, a small filet of salmon and some mashed potatoes on the side, you know what I mean? And yeah. we tried to, you know, uh, we tried to individualize that as well. And I, I say that because again, this, this, um, I think with pros and this, this goes to your question, Phil, a little bit is, um, you know, giving, I think this is good for all athletes, but particularly professional athletes to give them ownership in the program and a say in what happens for their bodies and for their performance at night and everything. It's certainly your role and, and your primary, um, your primary role and responsibility to be the leader of those spaces and to guide and provide the, the research-based knowledge and all yeah. that stuff. But to also give guys ownership and kind of how you navigate that, you know, research-based world and everything. And there's some flexibility and some freedom within decision-making that, you know, it can shift and maybe there's a little range where you're still best practice, but, you know, you have some flexibility within that, that, um, that, that always to me serves, um, serves the practitioner, the coach really well, um, right. when, de when dealing with some of the older pro athletes and everything. And I, th I think that, you know, I, I think, I hope I addressed your question with respect to the schedule and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And if it, yeah. the, the key there is it's back to the, how do you empower them? How do you give them ownership of the process? How do you develop the relationship to where everybody gets what they need? and mm -hmm. what they what is ideal for the end user that is the player in this case and then to give some more granular insight into kind of what that 24-hour window looks like you set the table perfectly jess in terms of that if we're talking about game day on the road you have players and you as the strength coach are probably trying to get to the arena sometime around let's say between three o'clock somewhere around three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. And then players come in either with you right at that time or right then thereafter. So you're trying to, you're trying to tick off these nutrition pieces. You're trying to make th sure things are in place with that. You're trying to figure out, okay, do I have access to that space that I was told I was going to have access to, to work these guys out? Or am mm -hmm. I reaching into my bag of tricks and in, in the trunk that I carry with me with all my on the, on the road type of things? What am I going to, mm -hmm. where am I going to bring the guys in for these sessions? sets of pre-game warm-ups or workouts or mini whatever you're going to do with them at that time. So then all of a sudden you flow through the roster of players. Everybody has their own little individual routine that you need to get with them on. And then you're going to go out there on the court. You're going to stretch guys. You're going to get guys activated on the court at that mm -hmm. moment. All of a sudden tip-off happens. But you as a strength coach are probably heading back to the back at that point very often to work with somebody on a rehab standpoint. Or hand off from the PT. Okay, I want you to get, let's let's work together here. And why don't you take them in the weight room? We've just done some more athletic training room type rehab work. And let's get them in the weight room with you yep. on stuff. So there might be a player that's not playing. Then all of a sudden, we had Steve Blake on. He talked about how he loved to lift after the game. And so you might have to figure that out if it's not, if there's not a flight that you're headed to. Or you're headed, you're, you're, you're cleaning up, you're throwing ice bags on guys as you're helping the sports medicine staff and getting guys their post-game nutrition. And it's packing up, getting the trunks out, getting onto the bus, and you're headed to a plane. Maybe you're going from Milwaukee to Denver. You're you're changing the time zone and you're you've got a 45-minute hour-long bus ride from Denver's airport to their hotel. And now you're getting into the hotel and you might have a back-to-back. -back. You might be 
getting just enough time in that hotel basically to get your bags upstairs and, and hit the pillow. And then you're, you're waking up in the morning and figuring out, okay, team meetings. Do I, what, who am I, what time are guys expected down to brunch? Do I need guys to lift beforehand? Do I need guys to all that kind of stuff? So that just kind of paints the rest of the picture, that 24 hour window that I think a lot of people, they see the game in Denver on ESPN. They have no idea that you were just in Milwaukee and that you were lifting guys about six hour, hours ago in a different time zone. Yeah, no, just um, I I got tired just re- reviewing in my, <laughs> in my in my brain all the activities I'll that you ran through in minute. Right? I'm bringing you, you back, and you can tell right that 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 sequence of events, like you can tell you were you were in that world for many many years because you did you nailed like each one of them. To I think the team, only I, th- I think the only thing you missed was 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 taking bags and and oh you know, man a hundred a hundred and thirty five pieces of luggage and bags off the bottom of a plane, loading it onto a bus, taking it hey. off a bus, getting it into the hotel at three o'clock in the morning. Right. Put the, you got, someone's <laughs> yeah. got a marker. Someone's got to tag the bag. Right. Someone's got to, got to have the list. Whose room is what? Don't forget <laughs> these players. Some of these players have aliases. So you yep. got to make sure the right name goes to the right number. No, and you, hey, yeah. you're doing that. So I want to, oh, I, yeah. I've got some stuff that I want to get back to in, in the time that you went on to really take even more of a, a deeper responsibility on the, staff of strength and conditioning and performance and sports science with the 76ers, but I want to bookmark it and I want to get into the book and get into the book is the intent is to grow. A young coach is guided along the path to becoming a true professional. Where did the idea to do this in a novel form come from? Where, where did that come about? Yeah. So the, the subject matter we've kind of discussed, right. In a number of different ways so far, and turning it into a book actually originated back in 2016. You may have been at this. This was this was at sure. the at the NBSTA conference where I presented yeah. the sub the original version of the subject matter of the book in a talk that I titled "Advance." And it was like you know, rise through the ranks as a you know a, a true pro strength and conditioning coach. Absolutely. But purpose purposely by design had nothing to do with X's and O's and technical knowledge. It had everything to do with who you are as a person, right? And how you connect with people and how you carry yourself as a leader. So like many people, you know, you kind of have in your brain, more than a couple of people after that conference, and I gave it again the following year in Vegas at the NSCA, you know, a couple of people, this would make make a great book. Mm. Like, cool, awesome, right? You get that in your brain somewhere and it's like, okay, cool, sometime. And then life happens and work happens and you always have a reason to not write the book. Of course. Uh, and until my time with the Sixers ended. And then it's like, okay, well, no reason to not write the book anymore. And, and literally within the day, I started storyboarding, you know, what would become the book. And originally it was, like I mentioned in the introduction, like, you know, traditional professional development, in-text citations, nonfiction, you know, heavily rooted in just, again, that, that approach. And then as I started thinking through it more, I I thought it was really good that this type of content would be really cool and even more impactful to tell a story. And instead of telling somebody that you should be empathetic, right? And you should be a generalist because that's going to help. Why not create an empathetic character and show them through stories what empathy is in an athletic department? And why not create a generalist, right? And create this character profile 
going back to high school when she was a, you know, and then she competed in, in, in the, in the, uh, heptathlon. Right. And she was always a generalist. She played three sports in high school, you know, and, yeah. and, and, you know, show the merits of being a generalist as a young, as a young athlete and a young coach, uh, through that. So it, it, it quickly became a business parable, right. And I kind of pivoted and, and switched it and just started storyboarding characters and started kind of creating some scenes in my mind. And, you know, I just kind of got rolling on it. And, you know, 10 months later, it was a a final product as, you know, Phil well knows with putting books together and everything. It was like, put on my, uh, put on my, uh, my Pomodoro timer and, you know, 25 minutes, 1500 to 2000 words a day, just chipping away every day. And, you know, I just, I just kind of got after it and, and, uh, and, and, and it was fun writing it that way. And it probably, you know, even, even, even though it is a story and it's a novel, that's kind of the one thing that I I've made an attempt to communicate there there's, there's literature to all of it, right. Each of the attributes are each of the attributes are written. That that was like a a really kind of welcome surprise as I dug into the research for the book is that there's a lot of literature from different worlds written on all of these different attributes. I never had a, I never had a reason to look it up because we're constantly digging into performance and medical literature. Right. But you go into a world where like software development and IT and, and software engineering, right. They spend a lot of money on soft skills, a lot of continuing education dollars, right. The, you know, the tech, the tech world, right. And Silicon Valley and everything like that's a, it's a big issue for them. And I, I was, it was a welcome kind of fun surprise to find out just how much literature is behind that. So I wanted to bake that into the book somehow as well, that it isn't just a bunch of stories from the field, which is there's value in that. And there is a lot of that for sure. That's kind of the roots of the whole, or that that's the, the theme of the whole thing, but the roots are in, you know, real literature. Right. Right. And you kind of had this in your, in your blood, in your bones, right? You wrote a children's book. I did. I did. That, that, that that was my first dive into, uh, (laughs) into being an author. And that, that was, uh, that was more of a fun project as a whole separate story that goes into that one. But yeah, four years ago, you know, I, I found an illustrator. I wrote a story and, and, and completed a children's book. Give it a plug. What's Mm -hmm. the name of that book? That is called Schmunk Tales, the magical schmunk trunk. I love it. I love it. Based on the, the, the key character is a little Mr. Potato Head guy. And since, since you gave me the, uh, the yes, chance to plug yes. it, right? It's a little Mr. Potato Head guy. It's a fictional character that my mom came up with years ago when she was in high school. No kidding. And then when, and then when she passed in 2017, I decided to write a story about it and I turned it into a book. So special. And wow. I, that, that is the piece that I loved about going through mm. the intent to grow. The intent is to grow is the fact that it's, we, we, we tend to consume, as you said, in, in our profession, in any profession of somebody trying to learn the technical trade and understand the process that you need to go through, the, the knowledge you need to know to be better, be better and level up every time. These books tend to be this sort of one technical skill to the next in one chapter, one chapter, one chapter. And you can almost just skip chapters because you're just going to, well, I actually want to learn. Let me zero in on that one skill that's in chapter 17. Let me go right to that. And you're not missing anything because it's, there's not a a thread that ties chapters together on those types of books, but this one is a story. And, and yet Mm -hmm. it's a story about the soft skills that are really the backbone to the success of somebody in any industry, in any profession, certainly in our industry of strength and conditioning of performance and rehab and that umbrella where 
the relationship is the foundation to it all. If you don't have that, all the technical skills and the knowledge in the world, and we've worked with people and, and seen people that came, come in with just this endless, uh, incredible, vast knowledge set that is really impressive on paper. It's really impressive in discussion maybe, but then the trenches come. And that's where the rubber meets the road and you're looking that player in the eye and you either have a relationship with them or you don't. And mm-hmm. there's not a big gray area there. And yep. you've either done the, the, the work to do that. And it's not just the player, it's your, your colleagues. I mean, we just talked about the 24 hours that it looks like in a window of travel, you're living with these people. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have these soft skills, I, I just cannot hi- highlight enough how important this book is, not just for the entry level strength coach or the entry level person trying to navigate this field and figure out where they land and how they advance themselves and level up. But anybody at any level, any point in their career could benefit from a zero in on these soft skills. And Mm -hmm. Jess, can you talk about a little bit? I I took some notes in certain places, but the six true uh, pro attributes and and where you came about with those and, and why and all that. Yeah, that, that's probably again the, the 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 category or the approach or the strategy. There was just you know lateral thinking, right? Taking content and and subject matter that worked in other areas, other fields, right? And you just repurpose them and you kind of make them you know applicable to the book. And that's exactly what I did with with this the the soft skills and the true pro attributes. Um, I, I looked at did a bunch of research at, at, you know, the, the large lists of soft skills out there. Sure. And there's a, there's a lot of crossover. You start looking them up online and again, look, digging into the literature that talks about them and everything. And, it, you know, they're basically talking about, you know, and it, you know, the, the, it gets a little granular, but they're basically talking about the same types of stuff and it's communication and self-awareness and leadership ability and, um, you know, empathy and compassion and connecting and the, uh, the ability and opportunity to finish projects and great teammate stuff. And, you know, again, the, the, there, there's long lists of them. But what I tried to do with the attributes is bucket them in smaller in smaller doses, I guess, right, six of them, and attach some names and some headings to them that were intriguing enough to kind of ask a question like, ooh, what is that? What, what does he mean by soul? Right. Or mm. what does he what does he mean by hustle? So a little bit of a beg the reader to like dig into it. Right. And, and understand it. Uh, and some terms that are sort of recognizable in sports. Right. Because it was a sports theme type book and everything. So that's yeah. kind of where, again, the, you know, the hustle comes from and the and uh, voice. Right. And and vision and all that stuff. Again, they're not exclusively sports terms, but at least some that are used a lot in that world. So from there, uh, I just, again, kind of took, you know, common themes that I knew and believe that kind of round out uh, a very impactful professional in our world and in most worlds and started creating characters that represented them that were able to teach these attributes. Mm. So if you just run through them briefly, right, the voice is just all about communication. Right. And that's mm-hmm. the title that I gave to it, but it's basically born and, and locked into the research around communication and it's communicating up to leadership and bosses, that concept of managing up and again, tons of great, you know, papers and store articles out there about that. Um, 
communicating down, right? Anytime, you know, leaders to members, or in our case, coach to athlete, that would kind of qualify there. Communicating across, right? How do you deal with your colleagues and your teammates and projects and day-to-day operations? And then I, I added this peripheral world too, which probably isn't in the literature, but it's one that we know. And, you know, again, it's, it, this was probably, you see, you see the diagram in the book, that's, that's the one that although everything's, you know, we steal and we borrow from everybody, right? We're all just like thieves from concepts and everything. Of course. This concept, this concept of multi-planar communication, I, I, I really didn't see that out there anymore. And I've talked about this a lot for years is this analogy. And you're, you're aligning these communication opportunities, the communication world, to the three planes of motion that we know from biomechanics, right? Mm. We know from movement. So um, frontal plane, sagittal plane, and transverse plane. How cool. Right. So frontal plane communication is communicating up and down. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. That would be sagittal. Right. Sagittal is communicating up and down in that sure. plane. Frontal plane is across to your colleagues. Right. And then this transverse plane has both an internal and an external uh, component where your internal are the people that very much are intrigued and need to know the message, but maybe not directly involved in it. Wow. Right. So that in our world, that might be, you know, the, 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 the head equipment guys that we talked about before that are doing the laundry, they certainly don't need to know the details of a return to play protocol. Right. right. You don't need to walk them through that, but you better tell them that somebody's injured and that he, and that he may not be in practice or that you're going to need him to come in on an off day and they better have the, you know what I mean? There's, there's real communicate. That's your internal layer. And then your external layer for us are all, you know, almost the fans and the media who are very intrigued by the message, but they get this like filtered version of it, right? So again, they'll need to know, you know, yesterday's the trade deadline. They're not going to know any single detail about what went down with a trade or an acquisition. They shouldn't. They're not, they're not, um, they're not entitled to that well, level as, of detail. As Phil, as Phil explained, they might be diverted by, by Daryl Morey and, and what you were talking about before, Phil. Well, yeah, exactly. The, oh yeah, we talked and I told him no. And then, so there's no, going to be no trade. And then Nash comes out and says, yeah, we're not trading James. And then yeah. as if they didn't know, you know, so it wasn't a lie. It was just a selective release of information. Yeah. Tra- trade deadline, sleight of hand, right? That's that it. Goes that's on. it. Goes so, on okay. So you have this multi-planer. Yeah, so, so, those, yeah. so that's the communication piece, right? And that, that was the biggest message under voice was that, you know, package your message based on who you are speaking to, who is across from you, because that's almost the the, the core need of that message, right? Mm. Where if it's the same exact, um, it's the same, again, the message is probably the word, it's the same exact message, but but you tailor that thing differently based on who you are talking to. Um, the athletic trainer and the medical team gets the detailed, real dialogue and discussion about, you know, return to play details, right? And you right. can have that dialogue because that's our world and everything. You're not going to give all that to the head coach. The head coach just wants to know what is the injury and maybe when is he going to be, is he going to be in practice today, right? Should I count him in when we're making teams for five on five? And, and if he's not, when's he coming back? Right. And some more details, that's probably, you know, a generalization, but you get the idea, you know, where to get the rest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and whereas, you know, that you might have a separate conversation about that injury case, with front office members or with that person's that athlete's agent or again, and then you get all the way out to the fans who get the very filtered PR type message about it. Right. So that, that was, that, that was generally voice. That was the biggest message from that 
attribute uh, and, you know, dip into body language, just, you know, just in the nature of that. And there, there's actually kind of a lot, a, a lot that I purposely left open-ended, which may or may not lead to more, you know, more books coming possibly, you know, a little teaser right there. Love there we it. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so then the second one is all about, you know, I, I created this, what we call a hustle and pro list. And it's all about professionalism and work ethic. Right. And, and they talk to the assistant strength coach, right. The, the main character who's this young, uh, young strength coach who's in his first week as a graduate assistant at a fictional university. And he is sent on this week long orientation program where he meets with these six guides and they all teach him a different attribute. Mm. The first one voice is delivered for, he gets to sit in on a college lecture from a community an internationally renowned communications expert. And he delivers this model while he sits in on the lecture. And then the second one, they get to sit with the assistant strength coach, who's their immediate boss. And he is a guy that rose through the ranks. He started off as a graduate assistant and then he got a full-time gig at the university. And he's this coach, them, this coach Oz. Coach Oz? It's, no, Coach Oz is actually the head strength coach. Oh, got right? it. Okay. Coach yep. is the strength. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Coach yeah. Oz okay. Okay. Got it. The whole got thing. it. But yes. no, this, okay. this, this is Richard Lathis, right? Yes. Yes. Right? Okay. Who, again, and, and, and Lathis, really quick, we love Easter eggs, right? The IT world loves and the, the memes love Easter eggs. Lathis is hustle rearranged. Right. Wow. What is that? That's called that's called an anagram, I guess it is, right? You just rearrange wow. I think I might I might have that one wrong, but you rearrange the letters and yeah. There's a couple of those built into there too. That's the only one Man. I'll give you. Yeah. Yeah. So um so yeah, anyway, he teaches them twelve practical strategies on how to impress even though you're young and you don't have experience behind mm. you. Right. And it's communication. It's tuck your shirt in. It's, you know, do research, be a sponge, learn as much as possible, model after others, um, be prepared, write your workouts in advance, show up early, you know, just practical, like Captain Obvious type stuff. But big, big, big separator when you do them versus when you don't do them. Huge. Right. And you're just constantly putting deposits in the bank through your professionalism and how you carry yourself while you earn respect, you know, and years and time served. Yeah. The thing about that, I yeah. love about that list that you gave of those, <clears throat> those attributes and those just, just doing that is things like showing up on time, tucking your shirt in and, and all the things that you listed is they're fully in mm -hmm. our control and, yeah. and they're, so they're at everybody's fingertips and yet they're an incredible differentiator for somebody that's going to just stay rooted to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and without a doubt, when you do them differentiate or it helps you stand out, I think it's more powerful for people that don't do them. Right. right. They, That's they right. stand out. They stand out even That's more because then, then they become the young guy who's 23 years old that doesn't give a That's shit a enough to point. like, you know, like, like even look professional when he's there. Right. Doesn't shave, smelly, doesn't tuck his shit, you know, all of that. We know that we've, we've seen some people like that because they never make it out of their internship. Right. right? They're, they're, they're never heard from again. You know, That's right. Those, those type because you weren't viewed or perceived as a professional. So that happens. Uh, the third one is soul. And that's all about the research and the literature behind empathy and compassion. Right. And how do you connect with athletes? And, you know, we pulled from the Goldman and Ekman stuff on empathy where, you know, three different types of empathy and the, the guide in that situation is the um, the. I believe I gave her a vice president title, but she basically coordinates academic support for the, for the university. Uh, so she's a tutor and leads a team of tutors, right. And talks mm. all, talks all about how they develop strong connections with their athletes in that department. 
through an empathetic and compassionate approach. Um, so there's that one. And then you move on to leadership, right? Uh, and he gets to go on a walk with a retired athletic director that kind of got the success of the athletic department off the ground. And he's since retired. And he talks about the origin of how they created a strong athletic department through both a servant based leadership approach and transformational leadership. And we pulled from the literature there and got a chance to kind of explain those two approaches in leadership through the story of the retired athletic director, which was really cool. And the fifth one is what, what I termed vision. And that's all about this combination of awareness. So the mm. first couple of chapters deal with self-awareness and this idea of most people understand self-awareness as recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses, but there's a pretty critical second layer to that where also how do those strengths and weaknesses fit within the environment that you're in every day, both personally and professionally? How do people wow. perceive those? Right. And those are generally, again, if you go into the literature, those are generally kind of the two macro categories of self-awareness. You can't treat one without the other. It's kind of like training and nutrition or, you know, um, I don't know what another analogy would be, but, but they're inseparable. Yeah. Right. You, you, you recognize who you are in terms of your own DNA and your own makeup. And then that's inseparable from how people perceive those as well. The people that you work with every single day and both of those matter. Um, so that's the first component of the vision. But then the second one is this cultural awareness model that I, that again, I talk about welcome surprises when I dug into the research, this sociological model about intercultural, uh, aware it's called the developmental model of intercultural sensitivity. And it walks you through these six stages of how people perceive cultural difference. How do they interpret it? How do they receive it when there's this gap between where people come from and their cultural norms? and something new, right? So again, let's, you know, the easy, right? And I give like sports specific examples for each stage and everything, but sports science and, you know, wearable tech is like kind of like the easy one to go to in the yes. NBA where, you know, that was very foreign six, seven, eight years ago, right? Wearable sure tech wasn't was. really there and it wasn't really received by everybody. It's like, home, you know, I, I got I to gotta put a sensor on me. Like I never did that before. And no, I don't want to have to do that. What is that for? And I don't trust the information and everything. So that mm -hmm. would represent why you would place that athlete who's resistant to wearing that piece of technology on one of the stages. And when you recognize where they are on that continuum, you develop strategies on how to deal with it, right? Recognize and maybe understand if you do need to sway them and kind of open their mind a little bit to that wearable piece, or maybe you just chalk it up as a loss and you're like, okay, cool. You know, which you kind of have to do because they don't have to wear the sensor, right? You know, it's voluntary. Right. So, you know, that's, that's that model. And then each of the stages has some, has some uh, sport relevant examples so that you kind of understand where they sit in reality and, and, and in real life within our sports world and everything. And then the final one is all about being a generalist, right? We called that one versatility. And he meets with the director of basketball operations for the women's basketball team there. She takes him through, you guys will love this, like a fictional podcast where she forces him to ask questions to wow. be the host. Yeah. Right. And she sets him up in this like uncomfortable world that he didn't know he had to be prepared for. So she makes him a podcast host and he has to ask her questions about being a generalist and versatility. So and good. she gets to, she gets to tell her story through his questions and through this like faux podcast. Scenario. Yeah. I could see where you yeah. stumbled across some of the same research that, that our friend Dave Epstein came up with um, in range, you know, and yes. put into yes. 
put into mm-hmm. such a great uh, structure with the, you know, he's the king of finding good case studies for this kind of thing, whether yeah. it's in that or the sports gene. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, okay. I can see you're re- reading some of the same papers and some of the same application of that research. And then, obviously, you've lived that as well because, as you told TD earlier, you know, this staff of only three <laughs> at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is almost unthinkable you know a small college might have more right. sports science yep. professionals than that on, on yep. staff or medical staff so yep. yeah it's kind of cool that you i love how you you did the thing and then i was also wondering if any of the main characters were either directly based on you at different stages or some of your mentors or if most of them were composites or maybe a little bit of all three all, all composites. I, I, I've said this a couple times in interviews and everything. No, none of the characters are any one person I know, but every character is a mix of a lot of people mm. I know and have worked with and everything purposely by design. When I when I kind of storyboarded the character profiles and everything, I, I, I plucked I plucked both good and bad from people, right? Because yep. you know throughout a career you see examples of how to do things and you see a lot of examples of how not to do things that's right and uh, and and that's that's built into that yeah that's built into each of the characters for sure for that for that storytelling element and you know you mentioned some things that i would say you know a lot of people in your profession haven't had to do because often they'll they'll write more prescriptive books right um or methodology related books and those are great too i mean we could all you know mention examples like you mentioned kind of one of the fathers of, of modern periodization earlier, and I'm sure any coach listening has probably, di- you know, dipped into that kind of thing, um, all the stuff Fergus has done and, you know, others around. Um, but di- yeah. And then you mentioned that your first, your first foray um, into literature um, was based on a character that your mom came up with. So was storytelling a big thing growing up? And, and you know, what, what was her relationship with that particular medium? Yeah, awesome question. Right? I, I could talk about this type of, you know, my my, my mother's influence on this uh, for another two hours, but um, not as much storytelling as it was just creativity. Right? My mom was a, a stay-at-home mom almost my entire life, and I don't know if I can remember a day where she wasn't doing some type of creative project around the house. Mm. Right. She, she, she sewed a lot. So she made our curtains and our pillowcases and, you know, she loved drawing on things and like all of her grandchildren have, you know, a t-shirt every single Christmas with like this puffy paint that she would make customized t-shirts and put their, their, you know, whatever character they loved at the time. Right. So it's like, you know, Broby from, uh, <laughs> from, yeah. uh, uh, I forget what this, what the, the, uh, the show was at the time, but, but yeah, um, that, that was just her. She, she found many, many different ways to express her creativity. And again, growing up, you never know that that kind of stuff rubs off on you as it's rubbing off on you. I never for once thought I'd write a book or a children's book or anything. And, and then it just struck me and, and, uh, you know, the origin of it was to kind of, allow her character that she created because the 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 little guy that's on the front of the 
the book cover there he's the main character of the story that 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 version again she came up with the name and it was called a schmunk and that thing lived on like our greeting cards as kids and oh, she'd cool. be on a long she'd be on a long phone call with my aunt and she'd have a piece of paper in front of her she's just doodling the whole time and there's schmunks all over this thing what happened <laughs> when she pa- when she passed in 2017 my sister and my brother and i are cleaning out the house and we found her scrapbook with like the origin of these things and she actually she ran for class oh, president or class secretary as a junior and she put schmunks on the the sign that probably hung around the school to, to help people vote her and and uh, my dad and her hosted block parties in the house that we had growing up and all of the invitations like had a little schmunk on he's and he's like holding a mug of beer then you like i remember her i remember her passing these invitations around to each of the houses on the block and everything so we forgot about it and then we remembered it and i just thought it'd be cool to like write a story about it so that this character lived on for all of her grandchildren my son my son and my sister's kid and brother's kids and everything. And then, you know, it kind of got some legs and I really liked it. And I started digging into how you turn a story into a book. And there's some really like turnkey solutions online to make it really easy for somebody to just self publish and hired an illustrator. And it was done a couple months later. Wow. So yeah. Special, I love that man. continuing so that special. thread and, you know, kind of her <laughs> legacy of creativity, as you said, for, for your own son and, uh, and his cousins and, and mm-hmm. other uh, other folks as well. That's that's such a cool, um, yeah. Because some people would just see that as, oh, this is just a distraction. Like you said, like you get into that headspace of, yeah, I've got this thing in my head or in my heart or both, and then you just there's always an excuse not to do that kind of creative project, mm-hmm. right? It's always yep. you 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 maybe get a period of time over a break where you'll mess with it for a few days in a row, and then it put it back in a drawer for a year and that kind mm-hmm. of back and forth. So kudos to you for actually doing it and for co- continuing her, her creative legacy. So yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. It was a fun project. Yeah. Yeah. And then the creativity yeah. that it, that you applied to the intent is to grow and, and how that reads is just so it's, it's a story. So it's, that's what we love. And, and so just so special that that underlying piece is from your mom, even all the way through that. Real quick, Jess, um, I do want to coach Oz in the book does talk about this moment where he's explaining how the general managers will call him and talk about the idea of ask him, well, is the guy, is the player a pro? Is, is he a pro? Mm-hmm. And yep. talk a little bit about, you talked a bit about it in the, in the pro attributes, but what were those things that coach Oz listed when he can say yes or no, or what the GM means when they say, is this player a pro? Yeah, that, that was born out of probably that same question that I'm positive, I'm positive you got right. Right. Many, many many other support personnel around players. Right. Yeah. And again, and again, I bet some of those conversations are being had right now, the day after a trade deadline, trainer to trainer, to trainer, strength coach to strength coach, where they're doing their due diligence to learn about the player that they just inherited from a trade. Right. Totally. And one of those questions, I'm not saying it will be, but somewhere will center around, is he a pro? Can I count on good habits? Um, When he walks into the building, is he a guy that I'm going to have to grab every single day to get into the weight room, you know, thorn in my side, make, you know, just add weight to what should be just kind of a really fun and engaging opportunity to work every day? Um, Or is he a guy that just kind of comes in naturally and he knows that's part of being a pro, that that's one of the obligations when you're a pro athlete? So that that's the crux, the core of that topic uh, there. And it was my 
my way to communicate that the, the definition of a true professional goes way beyond whether or not you play sports for money. Yeah. That, that there's a lot more that goes into the definition when you hear that question from general managers to a strength coach, from strength coach to strength coach, or, um, again, around draft time, right? Three or four months from now, we're going to be making calls, you know, strength coaches are making calls to college strength coaches, right? And talking, the, asking those same types of questions. And it's like, is he a good teammate, right? Is he a guy that guys want in the locker room? Does he lead by example? Is he a vocal leader? Does he have good habits with respect to his nutrition? Yeah. Or do I need to spend a lot of time talking to him about healthy eating? Right. Um, does he, uh, you know, show up, you know, again, timeliness, right? Yeah. Is he a guy, is he a guy it's that, a huge one. you know, if practice starts at 11 o'clock, is he rolling in at 1030 and just putting immense pressure on the trainer and the strength coach and the PT that has a real job to do to get him ready for practice? Oh, by the way, he's got to get dressed. And, he, you know, all of that stuff is, you know, a professional probably arrives for an 11, you know, again, a quote professional um, for an 11 o'clock practice, they might be in the building at nine or nine 30, maybe even earlier That's and right. walking through this like pre-practice routine to make sure they get everything they need prior to the start of practice. And then probably stays afterward to get some shots up too. And then he goes into all of his recovery, right. And he's going to see, you know, so that, that 90 minute practice, or maybe even less these days, it's a four or five hour day for a pro yes. athlete. You know what I mean? Um, for a true pro athlete, I would say now there are some that roll in at 1045 and yep. leave at 1215 or 1230, you know, whenever the, you know, so that happens too. So it's like, it's like all of these qualifiers, these, these indications of like a professional approach to people's jobs and centered around an athlete, right. And that question that comes from like, you know, scouts to coaches, but that same light can be shine on us as professionals. How do we carry ourselves on staffs as staff members and as team members do we help our teammates do we show up or do we get projects done on time are you somebody that you can count on if you know if you have a deadline are they going to submit it early are you going to submit it on time or are you worrying about whether something's going to come in late um how do you conduct yourselves in meetings when there's this moment of maybe disagreement you know how do you work through that challenge because you need disagreements right it's kind of the hallmark of a of a highly functioning high performance department any staff you should sure. you know thumb wrestle a little bit that's how you arrive at better conclusions but how do you go about that right and you know all of that amongst a whole other list of things would to me again this is kind of my personal definition of it but this concept of a true professional that that would be the dna of somebody you would label that just talk a little bit about let's go back because we bookmarked it i want you to take us through the latter chapter of your time with the 76ers because there was a, a pretty big evolution of both two things the field and then the role that the strength and conditioning role was then becoming in in our field and in the nba also your particular responsibilities and how you elevated and evolved in responsibilities toward the latter chapter that we didn't get into we kind of put a bookmark right roughly where you were still being contracted through summit and and before you had just been with the 76ers so take us through some of what happened in the nba and in your role and your evolution down the latter stages of, of your time with the 76ers yeah so transition from consultant to full-time you know there there were I, again I remember this there were many many moments as a consultant where it was like 
you know, I, I wish I just had more time. I, I, this could be a better program if I was full time, if I had more time to dedicate to this, cause you were, you know, you were, you were divided right between two, yes. you know, pretty, pretty important environments. You served to two kind of different employers almost. Um, so then you got a chance to do that. It was almost like a, a more detailed approach when one of those large responsibilities was removed. So at that point, dug into nutrition a little more, right? At that point in time, I became more engaged with nutrition and supplements, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, by the perception of everybody, you know, kind of raised the level of that meal selection and, you know, putting some real nutritional thought behind it, working directly with the dietitian weekly almost sure. um, and making sure that, again, the, the nutritional needs were met first and you could put some real maybe individualization into that part of it where, you know, just time just didn't allow for it before. And, and there were people in charge of that, that it was their responsibilities that worked for the team. So it really wasn't my place to, to take that over and insert myself. So that, that was a big shift for sure. And that was one I identified in the first couple of years that you would have loved to kind of refine and, and make a little better that I was, that I was able to. And then you can just put more time in. Again, I remember, I remember as a consultant, there was, there, there were many practice days where um, I had to figure out schedule wise. I, I did, I had obligations to be back at the training center and there was a 20 to 30 minute drive in between. So there were definitely moments where maybe that was an opportunity to spend a little more time with one of the players. Um, but I had to be somewhere else. So you had to figure out, you had to figure out a workaround at that. And, and again, you never, never left anything on the table. The job got done, but that is, that is, as you know, when you have to kind of decide or, or make a difficult decision in those two situations, you know, probably lost a, a, a relationship opportunity. Right. Spend yeah. a little more, no spend a little more time with somebody, even even if I just wasn't watching the clock because I had a 20 minute drive that I could have just spent some time afterward. And as he's whatever he's doing for his you know post activity stretch or he's all done with everything. And it's that time where you're sitting, you're talking shop. What are you going to do when you go home? Oh, I got this. I have this appearance. I got to go. It's, it's for my charity. And, you know, and you just like talk shop about it. And those are all relationship deposits that many times when being tasked with two things, I kind of had to sacrifice. And then all of a sudden you shift and you don't have to. So I was able to put, you know, a, a little more time into that type of stuff. So that was like transition from consultant to full-time and then kind of held that, held that down in that manner. And then we had this, this evolution where our staff really grew. And we talk about this, uh, Tim, in, in different forms as well, where sure. uh, we, we, we added a lot of personnel in a, in a short amount of time. And that thin staff of like four in four years time at one point in time quadrupled in size. Right. And yeah, yeah, like no joke, all of a sudden, four or five years later, it's, it, you know, we were 16 people deep just in performance and medical with yep. some unbelievable practitioners and human beings. I mean, there was no shortage of firepower at all. Um, but it gave everybody an opportunity to specialize a little bit more. Whereas we were like three and four and five generalists before, and we all kind of had to help each other do a bunch of different things. Now you move into this specialist world. Uh, and I moved over within the department and took on more roles under David Martin in sports science yeah. and left the, the, the roles and responsibilities of designing programs and, and being in a weight room full time. We brought on Todd Wright. He hired an amazing staff and they represented the strength and conditioning. And I bumped over and moved into this, you know, performance science role that the best way I can describe that is it, it was a glue position. It, it moved from 
guiding and training players in a weight room environment to, you know, looking at data regularly, whether you're pulling it from the, the second spectrum cameras or in the, in the arenas at night, or you're pulling it from wearable technology uh, or wellness questionnaires or, you know, session yep. RPE, right? You're gathering information and you're constantly feeding it to the other, to the other departments that work directly with the players. So it, it was a support role very much. And I came to enjoy that where you're empowering the physical therapists, you're empowering yeah. the athletic trainers, you're empowering the coaches with more information that they may not have known to help them do their job better. They're a little more front facing with the, with the players and we're making, we're helping them do their job a little more informed. Yeah. Uh, and, and I that can't was, that was, yeah, yeah. That, that, that must've been, it sounds like it was really satisfying for you because two things, I, I think you had this, really the only way you can get the ability to see the side of what Todd might've been doing in the weight room was to have done that job before. And mm -hmm. so you had that. And then you had this side of, Hey, I had, I, back in the day, I had to be right next to the athletic trainer and on a, on a beat with them with whatever was happening or with the, the rehab, the, the PT and that kind of thing. So you had done all those things. And then you also had this incredible knowledge base, but I can't help but, think that's really that soul, right? Number three on that list, that's that soul, the glue, the, the, the kind of glue as you, you call it, but that soul of mm -hmm. it keeps it all going together there. And so talk just for a bit about what were the, what was really the great parts? What were the easy and the things that made it better by having that many people? And what were some of the challenges of having that many people on a, on a team to get all together on one page? Uh, I, I think easily one of the best things was just the, the knowledge and expertise. And, yeah. and again, I've, I've used the word firepower repeatedly. Like we, yeah. there was, Oh God, like unbelievable people we brought under our wing, just super smart. Uh, so I, I think number one was the opportunity to learn new stuff, right? New philosophies came in, new approaches to, to, to rehabbing injuries, uh, new approaches to, you know, warmups and, you know, weight room protocols and all that stuff. And I, and you got a chance to learn it. Right. Whereas yeah. it was my philosophy before in strength and conditioning. Now there's a new one and you get a chance to learn. And then they bring in their network. Right. And they bring in their friends that come in and, you know, in services and everything. So what a tremendous opportunity to grow from a knowledge base at that point in time with progressive ideas and new approaches to, you know, that's a, you know, novel solutions to existing problems. Like it's all the same stuff that we were addressing, but we were, you know, with new people, you addressed them in new ways and you got a chance to, to learn from that. So that was easily number one, not the least of which was, you know, uh, the chance to, you know, hang out and, and work alongside of good people. Cause we, we brought a lot of character into the building as well. Um, I use the word special. Yeah. 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 Go, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I use the word specialist because that was both, uh, you know, a blessing where, you know, it, I don't know if there's a player that, that was on the roster at that time that wouldn't tell you like an unbelievable opportunity of individualized attention regularly right. with that, with that many people. I mean, we basically had a one-to-one -one practitioner to athlete right. ratio. Right. Um, right. Which is a little, which is a little gluttonous. Like we've joked yeah. about that a lot. Like there's not many teams that have it. And in fairness, not everybody worked directly with the of players. Course. So, that's, of course. so that's not fair, but, but still all a part of the department. So it gives you an opportunity to be very individualized with the players. 
but also opens up a new challenge and a a pretty steep one with communication. Again, we come back to that, making sure everyone is on the same page all the time with, with tremendous intelligence and, and pride in people's individual approach to things. um, It's also going to come some, you know, some disagreements on how to handle things and to, to, to work through uh, communication systems and opportunities for people to express their views on how to handle certain cases and and come to a common message by the end of that 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 was challenging for sure yeah. without a doubt are, like and it, some, and it wasn't uh, just it wasn't just our department that would happen with any growing team for sure no doubt but to, but to me that that you know was probably the biggest challenge that you know was probably expected but one that we worked through and that's exactly to be expected as you said with that many people that have to get on the same page and you could go right to the basketball court and look at when you bring a bunch of new players and LeBron comes to Miami and Bosch comes to Miami and they didn't just hit a home run out of the gates. It took them some time and they had to figure out yep. their communication systems and they had to figure out who who's going to do what and all this other stuff. And they yep. had a lot of firepower, as you say. And mm-hmm. so I guess maybe a better way of posing that second part of the question of what were the challenges? What, what would you say to somebody who has just been, granted the magic wand and said by a general manager or by a boss saying, Hey, you can build out your staff the way you want it. Let's get as many of the right people in here as you feel like you need to, or maybe you're being brought in as one of the members of those, those teams. And it could be a new, it could be a a basketball coaching staff. It could be a sports medicine and performance staff. It could be at a, startup company and there's there's big money behind you and you can you your your boss has been given the money to bring lots of people in but what do you say to that somebody in that environment that would be a little pro tip that you say hey that that would be something or that was key for us or we we would have done very well had we adhered to this I think it's important if if you look at kind of the maybe the pedigree of people, particularly in a pro environment, although it's probably applies in, in almost any level. Um, even the assistant level positions in a pro environment, th- those are very capable people, right? Both from a knowledge standpoint and an implementation practical standpoint. And many of them have been their own leaders, maybe in a previous life, you know, a, a head strength coach in college or a head trainer in college or right. a head trainer in the G league or something. And they had, they, they led a department. It's just now at the highest level of basketball, they're being asked to be an assistant. That's the role they occupy. So I say all that because, you know, our, the, the world is generally lit, littered with like alpha type people, like, like leaders, right? And that yeah. you, that's one of the reasons you get to that level. You've separated yourself from people that maybe don't deserve to be considered at that level as much, if that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think my advice is, for those types of people get maybe it's autonomy again, maybe it's some, um, you know, self-determination, like, like people want to be recognized as individuals. And when, if you're bringing on people with that capability as leaders, allow them to own something, allow them to lead something, right. That they, that, that they're empowered, even if it's a separate project that they're the lead on, that they get to kind of guide others, Um, maybe they're the ones that gets to present on something in a staff meeting regularly, like to give 
alpha type people ownership in something where they don't always just feel that they're secondary or tertiary in a room, just give them a little bit of ownership in something, some kind of project. Cause there's a ton of different things to do. Like maybe again, maybe all of a sudden your, your third staff member can own the gym aware or own the sports technology. Right. Yep. And, ha- and teach us like make us better. Right. That's your world. I want you to run that world. And I won't step into your lane at all. I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I might guide you a little bit from my expertise, but that's your world. I'm going to expect you to implement it on a really high level, own it and dominate it. And that's going to make us all better. Um, I think that's kind of my, oh, I think that's kind of, kind that's of my gold. Advice. That yeah. is absolute mm-hmm. pure gold. I love that. I'm, I'm taking notes on that. And anybody who's part of a team, I, wherever yeah. your position is on that team can can take that and implement it tomorrow that would mm-hmm. you if, if you're listening you can probably think of a coworker or a person or a teammate that would do great if that was being presented to them in that way and and that the team was operating in that way that is awesome mm-hmm. so just famous last question and mm-hmm. answer from your mind from your gut from your heart and it can be an, a technical answer it could be spiritual it could be emotional but this is the basketball strong podcast. And the question is, what does it mean to you to be basketball strong? Basketball strong to me is again, I'm, I'm probably going to lean on almost everything we talked about. It's such a, it's such a well-rounded uh, wide range set of qualities and characteristics yeah. that would make what I would determine to be a strong basketball player. And that word just begs you to think physical, right? Right. Of course. Imposing body, fast twitch, yoke on somebody strong in the post. Like that's immediately what that, you know, begs. And that is certainly an element of it. Right. And the equivalent in our world is somebody that knows his shit and implements it well and is, you know, commands a room and like just has that strong presence. Yep. Um, but to me, strength, again, come to the other side of that. Strength is also being a phenomenal teammate. Strength is also being a, 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 you know, a servant leader, a compassionate leader, a leader that recognizes the individual and the people they're being tasked to lead. Um, in today's world, without a doubt, being adaptable and fluid and changing, like, gosh, what, what, what skill do you need more in today's world than the opera, you know, just not being rooted in what it is you're always done and being flexible to changing, changing circumstances and all that stuff. To me, all of that has to fall under that strength heading. To me, that's a, that's a basketball strong person. I love it. I love it. Could not say it any better myself. Absolutely incredible today, Jesse. This has just been really, really valuable stuff. And to go further on every point that Jess brought up, the intent is to grow is is the name of the book. You've got to get it and it will help you to build your foundation of where you're going, be able to develop those soft skills in a way that through a story, you're going to enjoy how you take this information in. But Tell people, Jesse, where they can follow you, where they can get the book, and what's coming up next. Social media-wise, I'm most active on Instagram. So Jesse K. Wright, J-E-S-S-E-K-W-R-I-G-H-T. Um, you know, both on posts and hit me on DM. I'll definitely get back with you in, in, a, in a fair amount of time. I interact on that a lot. 
um, website balancethebar.com. That's kind of the, the, the passion project website. That's an extension of a book, all tons of free content on that, uh, website all around soft skill development and high performance. And again, it's very, you know, it has a sport flavor, but what can't be, what shouldn't be lost is that this stuff crosses over into any industry. So any, any listeners don't think it's just about, you know, time in the NBA or anything. It certainly applies in a number of different worlds, every world, both personally and professionally. Uh, and you can reach me via email on that and click on ad, admin at balancethebar.com. Um, you know, what's next is just continuing to kind of, you know, talk about the book in different forums. Uh, this year at some point soon, there'll be kind of like some online courses coming through the balance, the bar brand mm. and, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. Just a lot of you know, speaking engagements and just kind of staying involved and continuing to kind of bang the drum around this topic. Oh, it's a special one. It's a critical one. I think it's the backbone to a successful journey for anybody in any profession. And you, you lived a basketball strong life to this point. There's so much overlap to what is basketball strong and what the intent is to grow is all about. And, and all of what you've brought to light in this book and in what you're doing to spread the word. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time today. This was just, just, it was special. Well, big, big thanks to you guys as well for number one, creating this forum to tell these kind of stories and then allowing me to be a part of it. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong. <laughs>